You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are glad that you're here. Happy Father's Day to all the dads. I hope that you are enjoying the tie, wallet, or shaving kit that you will receive between now and this evening. And uh, because apparently those are the only three things that we need. And, uh, but, uh, so let me, let me start by asking, how many of you are morning people? Can I ask that? Like you're, you're, okay. How many of you are more of a night owl? Okay, some of you raise your hand both times. I don't know if you really understand how this game works. Okay, very good. Now, so let me tell you, uh, I used to be a night owl. And then I started having kids, especially my middle son, Xander. Uh, my son, Xander, is a morning person, uh, even to this day. He's still the first one awake in our house. And when he was younger, he would be the first one awake. And then two to three minutes later, I would be the second one awake because he would start pushing me and, and, and whatnot. And he'd be like, dad, dad, uh, what? He's like, hey, I just want to let you know I'm up. Like, thank you for that piece of information. Well, anyway, a while back, this is a few years ago, Xander wakes up, it's 5.55 a.m., which is even a little early for him. And um, he comes into my bedroom and he starts poking me, dad, wake up, wake up. And I'm like, what's up, buddy? Now you got to understand he didn't know this, but I had been uh, working on a book. And so I had not gone to sleep until uh, a little after two. It's 5.55 and he's asking, he's like, dad, are you awake? And I'm like, well, kind of. And, uh, and so my eyes are still closed and I'm like, what's up? And he says, dad, which is the seventh fret on the guitar? And I say, well, you know, remember the dots. And so we have a guitar here. And so there's a, there's a dot on the third fret, fifth fret, and seventh fret. So the third dot is the seventh fret. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, thanks. And then I put my head back down. And then right before, I, and then I think for a second as I'm answering, like, hold on. Why did he need this information before 6 a.m.? So I open my eyes, and he's standing over me with his acoustic guitar strapped on, and with his pick like this, and he says, okay, let's do this thing. And he is just about ready, to, and I'm like, no! And uh, I, I stop him, and I'm like, dude, you can't do this. Everyone is asleep. And so Xander uh, is the consummate morning person. And here's how you know if you're a morning person is not just that you wake up early. Lots of people have to wake up early, but like when you're a morning person, you wake up happy. So as far as if we can take Winnie the Pooh as, and his friends as like the, the, the continuum, if you are a morning person, you wake up like Tigger and then you kind of descend. But uh, if you wake up more like Eeyore, you are not an aforementioned morning person. So that's kind of how that works. So anyway, but Xander is Tigger. He's bouncing off the walls, tons of energy, super happy. But what would happen when he was younger is when he got tired, this ultra positive kid would start to turn a little bit negative. And then uh, we, uh, so what, one night we were getting ready for bed and I said, hey, if you guys get, uh, get done first, put pajamas, brush teeth, all that, we can watch a TV show before you go to sleep. Well, Xander's taking a little while. I'm like, come on, buddy. Don't you want to watch the show? And he just like descends like full on into Eeyore. And he's like, it's never going to work out. I'm never going to watch this show. I'll never get ready. I don't even deserve to be part of this family. And I'm like, 
whoa. And, uh, and, and I'm like, Xander, what's, you're, you're being negative. Be positive. And he's like, okay, I'm positive. It's not going to work out. And, uh, and so now, but then he'd wake up and be great. And there's, there's a principle there that uh, you, sometimes you are one good night's sleep away from things looking a lot better in your life. So if you get nothing else, that's something to take, you know, uh, because once again, being tired influences you. In fact, there's a whole bunch of things that are influencing you, whether you recognize it or not. Um, attitudes uh, are, are influencing you. People are influencing you. Friends are influencing you. Parents, circumstances, whether you want to admit it or not, traffic is influencing you, your surroundings. And the reality is, as we recognize this, and it's important for us to recognize it, but an influence is more powerful than even a title. And a lot of times we think that if I really want to be influential, I have to have a title, I have to have authority, I have to have position. And the reality is, is that influence is even more powerful than any of those things. Because you may not have a title, you may not have a position, you may not have authority, but all of us have the ability to influence. And if you have the ability to influence, then you have the ability to lead. If you're a parent, you're leading kids. If you're a husband, you're leading a family. If you're a friend, you have the ability to lead other friends because at its core, leadership is influence. And if you have influence with anyone, then you have a measure of leadership. Now, we are in, I tell you all of this because we are in the 13th message, if you can believe that, in a series that we've been calling A Beautiful Mess, which is a study of the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, 1 Corinthians, if you're not aware, is a letter the New Testament is, make, is consisted of four Gospels and letters that were written from church leaders to mostly churches, some, a couple of individuals. But um, the Apostle Paul writes this letter to a church that's in Corinth. Corinth is in southern Greece. And so he writes this letter because he had started that church, spent two years there, and then left, appointed local leaders, and that church descended into chaos. And they had all kinds of problems, so much so that there was this woman by the name of Chloe who was friends with the Apostle Paul, and she wrote Paul a letter saying, listen, the church in Corinth is a mess. And she wasn't kidding because there was infighting, division. There was people in the church who were suing each other. There was people in the church who were um, uh, getting drunk during communion. Like, first of all, I don't even know how that computes, but uh, they were doing that. And so what he does is he writes them this letter in response to that, that we've been studying, and he's encouraging them, saying that a divided world needs a united church. And that what we, the way to be a united church is by having what he calls the mind of Christ. What is the mind of Christ? It simply means thinking about things the way Jesus thinks about things. It's knowing what God wants us to do and speaking in a way that's consistent with the character and nature of God. Now, if you haven't been with us, let me give you the 10 second of previously on 1 Corinthians. I'll just give you the, here's the, what you missed. The first six chapters of 1 Corinthians are Paul dealing with the mess that's happened. Then in chapter 7, he says, he, he transitions and he says, now, about the things of which you wrote to me. And in that, the Corinthians had written Paul a letter and they had practical questions, theological questions. And from chapter 7 through the end of the book, he's just answering the questions that they have. So in chapter 7, he talks about marriage and singleness and all of that and how that works for us as Christians. And then in chapter 8, he talks about how do we disagree as believers without, having, without vilifying the other person? And sometimes that means for those of us that are mature, curbing our freedom for the sake of those who are not as mature, for those who are easily offended. It's uh, that, you know, he tells them that they need to grow up 
because if you're easily offended, that is a sign that you're immature. And then in chapter 9, he talks about running the race, how to run a race that wins. And then chapter 10, he gives us this picture of Israel and how Israel had every opportunity to win their race but got sidetracked. And so what we're going to do in our time together is finish that conversation and th- before he goes on in chapter 11 to move on to other topics. And what he wants to do is talk about how the things that we engage in influence us. Because he's been talking about you've been doing this or if you don't do that for the sake of having influence with those who are far from God. But the reality is, is that we all want to be people of influence. We all want to be people that impact other people. Every dad wants to leave a lasting impact on his kids, right? And by the way, you will. What you have to decide is whether, will it be a good influence and will the lasting impression that you leave be a good one? And what Paul is going to show us is how we can have influence with the people around us and how we can influence ourselves. And listen, if you've ever struggled with getting yourself motivated to do the right thing, what you're waiting for is how do I influence myself to do the thing that I want to do? And Paul is going to share with us how to do that. So we're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in verse 14. Here's what we're, where we begin. He says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak As to wise men, judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing, which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Observe Israel after the flesh. Are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? What am I saying then, that an idol is anything? Or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. You can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? And if you pause there and give me your attention. There's three things we're going to talk about in reference to influence, and this one in particular as he talks about it. But the first one is this, if you're a note taker, and that is that there are practical decisions to spiritual issues. Now, this is such an important topic and one that is huge for us to understand, and I really believe that if we don't get it, we will not reach maturity in Christ, maturity in our faith, because we start to think that maturity, that spiritual maturity, is this kind of mystical thing. And that's why if, if you want to know, and people, I just want to know if I'm growing spiritually, and, and they all think, so many times we think that spiritual maturity just involves some kind of feeling. Spiritual growth is the consistent doing of certain habits that makes spiritual growth a reality in our life. It's an intentional investment that we make physically that bring about something spiritually. And one of the things that we make a mistake on is that we split that which is spiritual, which that which is physical. And by the way, that idea is not biblical. That is idea, an idea that is rooted in Greek philosophy, where they said that the spirit and the flesh were totally separate. The Jewish idea of spirituality was not that. The Jewish idea of spirituality was that everything you did physically had spiritual connotations. So everything was spiritual, no matter how, quote-unquote, religious it might be or not. And so... Once again, so anything that we do is making an investment in our spiritual growth. So about eight years ago, my daughter Mia was um, six at the time, and I took my daughter uh, Mia to see Billy Joel in concert. Now, 
I wasn't planning on taking her. I was planning on taking my wife, and then we, our babysitting fell through, and so uh, I still wanted to go. And I was like, and so my daughter Mia volunteered to go, and I thought it was great because she was just starting to play piano, and I thought, what better inspiration than from her to hear from the piano man himself? So we go to the concert, and we have pretty good seats, and as we're talking, Mia says, Dad, I don't understand why I have to take, the, take piano lessons. And I'm like, well, don't you want to get good at piano? And she says, yeah, but you've already heard me play Mary Had a Little Lamb a bunch of times. And I'm like, well, yeah, and you've really done pretty well on that, but don't you want to learn to play other songs, maybe write your own song? She's like, well, I guess. So anyway, how can you not love a Billy Joel concert? I mean, unless you don't like Billy Joel, then I guess it would be torturous, but I happen to love him. So, um, but one of the highlights for me, now one of the things, if, if you ever go see him, he'll play his songs, and then in the middle of, of the concert, he just starts talking, and then it'll just remind him of something, and then he'll just start playing somebody else's song. And so that's what happened. Um, he, st- he said something about Elton John, and then he started playing your song by Elton John, if you're familiar with that. You know, he's, uh, I hope you don't mind that I put it down in words. How wonderful life is while you're in the world. I'm no singer, but anyway, well, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, maybe I'll pursue it. I heard American Idol's doing another season. So he's a 47-year-old pastor, but he's here to rock an old hit. Anyway, um, so... Anyway, so they start playing that. And now the thing you have to know about that song is that that's a song that I used to sing to Mia when we were putting her to sleep. And so he starts playing that. I'm sitting there with her. I start crying. And, um, and now and it's not a big deal because I was there with 17,000 of my closest friends. And so, but I start crying and, I, and, and, and she turns to me and she sees that I'm crying and um, she starts saying something to me that I think is like, you know, dad, I love you. But she, she turns, and, and I'm, I'm trying to, like, keep my composure. And she says, Dad, I, and I thought she was going to say, Dad, I love you. But she says, Dad, I want to know, why don't we go eat at Subway anymore? <laughs> and uh, I don't know, but I'll get you a spicy Italian. You know, uh, and so, but now, so we have a great time. We're walking out of the concert, and, and th- we had this conversation. And I said, Mia, this, I just wanted you to see what happens when you're given a little bit of talent and you just invest in it, invest in it. You do something very practical with it. And what it reaps is this incredible fruit. Now, listen, any musician will tell you that practical investment will make you useful for the kingdom of God. It's the, the physical and the spiritual working together. And once again, one of the challenges that we have in church is that we try to split those two things. We try to measure spiritual growth just like as this ethereal thing, and we end up missing the spiritual world around us. And this is why Paul says when he talks about this section that an idol is nothing. It's not like there's this big menu of gods. No, he says there is one God, the Father, and Jesus, his Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's it. One God. But he says all these other idols, they're nothing, but there is something demonic behind it. And he says, and what I don't want you to do is to be physically involved in something that now has a very negative spiritual connotation attached to it. So I can do something physical that has a very bad spiritual result attached. Why? Because spiritual maturity impacts your physical world and your physical habits impact your spiritual maturity. These things work together. This is why Paul would tell his protege Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, you'll see it on the screen. He says this, He says, physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. 
promising benefits in this life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. We become physically fit when we do practical things consistently. And Paul is saying the same thing is true spiritually. Godly character, which is spiritual in nature, is formed by practical decisions. And this give and take is many times why as Christians we miss uh, reaching maturity. And this is why Paul lists something so practical like eating as an illustration of how this works. Because he says uh, in the passage that we read, he says, you know, the bread which we bless, isn't it the body of Jesus? The cup which we bless, isn't it the the blood of Jesus, and he says that this communion, the reason why we call it communion, it's, it's the Greek word is koinonia, which means fellowship. We are having fellowship with God. In the Jewish context, to share a meal together was to become one with that other person. In fact, this is why, and if, if you're old enough to remember in 1992 when the Oslo Accords were signed, you remember that Yitzhak Rabin, who was the Israeli prime minister and uh, Yasser Arafat, who was the leader of the PLO, uh, the Palestinian movement, they met on the lawn of the White House with then-President Clinton at the time, and they shook hands, and they said there's going to be peace in the Middle East. And here's the thing. They talked about peace. They met together. But here's the thing that many people don't realize. They would not share a meal together because they both understood what it meant, that sharing a meal together was that the, the same Food that was nourishing you is nourishing me, and we are becoming one. And this is, Paul doubles down on the illustration in the verses that follow when he talks about Israel. And then he says that a person would go to the temple and offer a sacrifice, and part of that sacrifice would be consumed, and part of that sacrifice would go to the priest, and then part of that sacrifice would go to the person. As they would, and they would eat a portion of it, and it was a fellowship offering with God. They were communing with God, that the practical act of eating was producing something spiritual. And this is my point, and that is that sometimes we separate the two and then we wonder why we aren't growing. Listen, if we want to grow and be mature, I'm going to blow your mind. You've never heard this before. But if you want to grow and be mature, here's what you got to do. You got to read the Bible every day. And you're like, for real? I've never heard such a thing. Is this like a new thought? You you read the Bible every day. Oh, but I don't like to read. That's fine. You're never going to be mature then. Oh, I don't. First of all, who talks like that? Uh, but there's this thing, and it's like you know, there's a there's a, a quote that I heard from a guy years ago. But he said this. He said that there is no practical difference between the one who cannot read and the one who will not read. And so, allow God to speak to you. Let me tell you what else you need to do. All right, come to church, like actually putting on pants. And coming here. And once again, this is why I struggled for a long time with putting our services online. Is, uh, and once again, I don't have a problem with people watching online because, oh, my child is sick, and so I'm going to uh, stay home, but I'm still going to watch. No problem with that. I don't have a problem with someone who doesn't attend here, and they say, hey, I'm going to check out the services for a couple of weeks and see if the style and flavor of ministry is what I'm, I'm into. That, that totally makes sense. But listen, when we start downgrading our commitment to simply watching We've missed it. You know why? Because church has never been about watching. Church has always been about participation. It's been about serving and interacting. It's been about praying and being prayed for. There is a physical act of actually getting dressed, getting in your car, and being here that produces something spiritual in your life. And here's how I know you already know this to be true. 
Because this is exactly what happened with your spouse. You did very practical things that produced something very emotional and spiritual in your life as you were bonded together before, uh, as you were getting married. And so the best thing that you can do for your spiritual growth is to do something practical and then watch your spiritual maturity soar. And this is what Paul is going to double down on in the next verses. Look at what he says in verse 23. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Eat whatever is sold in the, mar- in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. If any of you do not believe, if any of those who do not believe invites you to dinner and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this was offered to an idol, do not eat it for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord in all its fullness. That's a quote from Psalm 24. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? If you pause there and give me your attention, second thing I want to tell you, and that is that there are wise choices that invite God's blessing. Now, Paul is presenting a situation that no doubt these Corinthians experienced. Probably not us, but they for sure did. And that is getting invited to someone's house who, and you're presented me. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but just in case you weren't here, let me, or you were asleep or something, um, let me remind you. Now, one of the challenges they had in chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians was people would offer sacrifices at all of these pagan temples. And we talked about that there was a plethora of idols and gods and temples and all that stuff in Corinth. And so what would happen is, is that they would offer these sacrifices and then a part of it would go to the person, a part of it would go to the priest. And there was so much meat left over that those in these other temples would sell it back to the meat market and it would be sold at a discount because it was offered at one of these temples. And so what some Christians saw that as, oh, this is great, I can get meat at a discount and I can be a good steward of what God has entrusted to me. Other Christians said, no, you don't want to have anything to do with meat that is offered to an idol and I just, I'm so offended by that. And so what happens is, is that Paul says, so imagine you go over to someone's house and they offer you some meat. He says, just eat it. But if that person says, hey, before you eat that, that was offered to an idol, he says, then don't eat it. Because, not because of your conscience, but for the sake of the other person, because apparently the host is telling you that because he thinks it's wrong for a Christian to eat meat that's been sacrificed to an idol. And your goal is not to prove your freedom, it's to reach people who are far from God. Now, once again, that has probably never happened to you in your life. But, You've probably had maybe something like this happen where you go to someone's house and maybe they're serving wine and they offer you some and maybe you're okay with having a glass of wine and, and then the host says, oh, wait, wait, I'm sorry, I forgot, you're a Christian, you can't have wine. Now you have an option here. Now you can either make, no, I can drink, I can drink more than all of you. I got a wooden leg when it comes to wine, dude. And you can do that. But you're missing the whole point. Improving your freedom to drink you end up losing the war of reaching your friend. And so if they don't want you to drink because you're a Christian, then listen, you just say, hey, man, I'm sorry that offends you, and I, I, I won't have any. And, and sometimes these kind of compromise things happen where uh, I'll get called sometimes to go pray at, like, 
city events and, you know, a couple times um, there's been like military things that they've asked me to go pray for. Well, one time, a few years ago, the city of Miami Lakes called me and they wanted me to go and pray at one of their mayor commissioner meetings. And so I said, fine, I got there. And then they took me aside and they said, hey, listen, we want you to pray an inclusive prayer. And now I know what they meant, but I just love giving people a hard time. And I'm like, well, what do you mean by, what do you mean by inclusive? And they're like, well, you know, we don't want it to just be for Christians. And so we just want you to include everyone. And I'm like, oh yeah. And what they want, let me explain what they want. What they want is for me to offer some like generic prayer to the force. And I'm like, look, man, you want to pray to the force called Obi-Wan Kenobi. I'm a Jesus guy. So that's, that's the phone I dial. And so anyway, so they're, I'm like, hey, don't worry. I'm going to include everyone in my prayer. And so I prayed, and I prayed that Jesus would save everyone in that meeting. Um, and um, it was great. Thank you. That was not the response I got because they never asked me to come back. And <laughs> now, but Paul is saying something so powerful, and sometimes we miss it because a lot of times as Christians, we think, well, God is going to spell everything out for me. Uh, and, and, and listen, God doesn't spell everything out for you. Because if he did, there would be no reason why over and over the Bible tells us to seek wisdom. Over and over the Bible tells us to seek wisdom. And if God is going to spell everything out, then all we really need to know how to do is read the labels. But instead, Paul opens this section by saying, look, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Not, all things are lawful, but not all things edify or literally build up. Uh, and, the, and some translations put that in quotes, all things are lawful, like that was a common phrase that was spoken in the city of Corinth. And Paul's rebuttal to that common phrase is that, listen, all things might be helpful, but not everything, all things might be legal, but not all things are helpful or edify or literally build you up. Not all of this stuff is really helping you. Because listen, when you're young and you lack wisdom, well, let me say it differently because you might be old and lack wisdom. But, so, but people, and this is how you can tell because people will ask questions like, well, is it legal to do this? And once again, that might be an okay question, but it's far from the best question. The best question is not just is it legal, but is it the wise thing to do? Because there's lots of legal things that are incredibly unwise. And if, I, if my only gauge is, well, is it legal, I will end up in a place in my life where my life is wrecked with bad choices, and I'm, then I get confused about how I got here. Because no one sets out to ruin his or her life. A lot of times, we just don't make a plan to not ruin it. So asking, is it legal, isn't the wise question. And by the way, the question comes in various forms. The way we'll say it, now is like, can I still be a Christian and, or, you know, can I be a Christian and do that? And what we're asking is, I want to know where the line is, and I just want to live as close to the line as humanly possible. You know what the problem is when you live really close to the line is that it just takes a little bump for you to end up crossing the line and messing things up beyond repair. Now, let me explain it this way. Um, and listen, some of us, like we've known each other for like 20 minutes already. Some of us have known each other longer, but some of us for only 20 minutes. And I know that all of us now have a deep relationship, so I can ask this because it's a safe place. So anyway, has anyone here, I'm going to raise my hand first because this has happened many times. Has anyone here ever gained weight? Anybody? And I mean like unintentionally, not like I've been bulking. Like I'm saying like, like, whoa, I didn't know that the scale broke because it says I'm 20 pounds heavier. That kind of weight gain. Okay. Um, now, if you've ever, and I, I don't like calling it a diet just 
because of the first three letters. But <laughs> I like, I, uh, you know, and I appreciate you guys getting it. 10 o'clock, they were very slow on their upload speed. And, uh, it's, and, I, and I know, and I'm like, I know some of you guys just got here from Cuba. And, uh, you know, you're not like words and spelling is tough. But anyway... But what happens is, is that you go, you have some, you're on some kind of eating plan, right? And then something happens and you end up going back to old habits. And now I'm telling you, I could write a book on how that happens. No one would read it unless it was an edible book, but, uh, but I'm telling you, but the reality is no one goes straight from, from eating bananas to Twinkies in one step. No one does that. It's just like, it's this slow progression where maybe you're, you're eating well and you're exercising. Then you stop exercising. Man, I got so busy. Then you go out and um, you go to a restaurant with your family and you have a bad meal. And you're like, but it's just a bad meal. Now, if it, you have that bad meal at lunch as opposed to dinner, you know dinner's shot too because you're like, look, I already ruined today. I may as well just eat whatever and then we'll start fresh tomorrow. Or maybe you, you had that on like a Saturday and then Sunday you're like, you know what? I'm just gonna just ha- have a free weekend and then, because it actually, diets don't work if you don't start on Monday morning. They won't get hold. It only works on Monday. There's a brief vortex that opens in the universe. And dieters, if they don't catch that, you've got to wait till the next Monday. And if, the, and if that Monday happens to be the first of the month, then uh, anyway, something wonderful happens. And so, any, so anyway, so you're doing that. And then, you know, maybe you go to a birthday party and you have a piece of cake. It's not a big piece of cake. But it's, it's, a, it's a small piece of cake. And, and then, you know, all the Cuban people that are there are like, you know, they're telling you, un dia, un dia, you know, un dia. Like Cubans have this thing where they, they just, un dia, if you don't speak Spanish, means one day. And so Latin people have this thing where it's like, everything's okay if it's just one day. Like, you know, it's like you robbed a bank, un dia. <laughs> the ATM was broken, man. You gotta make your own situation. I don't know why I just sounded like Tony Montana from Scarface. <laughs> Come on, Pelicans! And uh, that's a that's a line from that movie. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I think that's the first time I've ever quoted Scarface in this church. And um, based on the emails I get, maybe the last. Dear Pastor Bob, I loved your Father's Day message, but I hated the Scarface reference. And uh, how would you know it's a bad reference unless you watch the movie? I'm offended you watched that movie, sincerely. Anyway, that's my response to them. Anyway, but, you know, but I'm telling you, it's what happens. Then, then, you know, so then you have a piece of cake, and then, you know, you just, you, you just next thing you know, you're swinging by Publix, and you buy a sheet cake, because when your kids learn to tie their shoes, and it's like, we got to celebrate. And, and then you, eating, you end up eating half the sheet cake alone in the middle of the night, uh, and, and uh, that's not me, by the way. There's this other guy I know. Pray for him. That guy's a real loser. And, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> oh boy. Uh, dear Pastor Bob, your hatred of carbs really offends me. Uh, but, no, but here's the point, right? Is that your daily habits will form your character and then inform your life with wisdom. Now listen, do you have to read the Bible every day? No. But look into, the, here's what wise people do. They, they, they look at the lives of those who do. 
And they see what God is doing. You know what you're going to find? You're going to find some wisdom. You're going to find some discernment. You're going to find a track record of making good decisions. And the blessing of God is evident in their lives. Do you have to serve? No. But look at the lives of those who do. Man, they're growing. They are full of joy. And they are way less depressed than most people. I mean, do you have to be generous? No. But the life of a stingy person has no joy. And generous people have all the joy. And their world just keeps getting larger and larger. Listen, fools ask this, well, do I have to? No, and they never learn that it's the simple daily habits that, in, that eventually form our character and inform our wisdom. Well, Paul is gonna double down on this. And uh, we'll see this in the last section because he says, let's think it's gonna inform your wisdom and influence everyone around you. Verse 31, he says, therefore, in light of that, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I uh, also please or I'm agreeable with all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. And here's the last thing I want to tell you, and that is that there are godly alternatives to challenging situations. All of this comes down to what Paul says at the end of this chapter, that everything that we do should be done to the glory of God. And that's a good filter by which to live your life. And that is, can I glorify God by doing this? And and then Paul says something that struck me the first time I read it. When I was a young Christian, just a couple months, um, having known the Lord, and now almost 30 years later, Uh, it impacts me even still and challenges me that Paul says these words in chapter 11, verse one, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I mean, Paul, could you imagine saying that? Paul is saying, listen, if all of you were more like me, as I'm trying to be more like Jesus, you'd be way better off. And that Greek word for imitate is where we get the English word mimic. And one of the things we do, uh, we do this as a family sometimes, is that we'll, we'll go to lunch and then, um, we'll do impressions where we will just, you know, we'll try to, we'll quote like movies or TV or whatever, and we'll try to guess who it is. And um, no, I'm telling you, we've done this, no matter how many times we've done this, it's hilarious. And you should do this with your kids. It's so, it's so hilarious, so fun. And so I remember one time, now usually it's movies or TV, but one time Mia was like, oh, I got one. I'll do this. See if you can guess who it is. And uh, she's like, <clears throat> hey, look at me. I'm a pastor of a church in Miramar. And, uh, <laughs> I'm like, one, I've never said that. And two, that doesn't sound like me at all. And, and then um, I said, and then I got, I, 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 I do a decent German accent. And so I did uh, this German accent and um, quoted something. And my son Xander goes, he says, oh, you're, you're the Red Skull from Captain America. And I said, yeah, he goes, I knew you were going to do that. I said, why? He goes, well, because you're both bald. And I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. Like that I can only quote bald people? And um, anyway, uh, but, but here's, here's the point, right? Is that your spiritual walk is leaving an impression. It's impacting your kids. It's impacting your friends and your spouse. Listen, your spiritual walk is your legacy. I've been thinking about this a great deal. Um. So my dad died on Wednesday night, and um, 
it wasn't a, it wasn't a sudden departure, but you know, we had some time, we had a couple of months and, and I'm grateful to God for that. And we talked through a lot of things and, um, my dad came to church here for a long time and, um, never wanted anyone to know that the senior pastor was his son. And, um, he, uh, he would get here early so that he could pay for his um, stuff at the cafe. And I'm like, Dad, it's, it's okay. I, I'll get you. And he's like, no, no, no. I don't want any special treatment. And um, so anyway, but um, my dad was not a perfect person. He made a lot of mistakes. But um, over the last couple of months, um, sitting, at his, sitting next to his bed almost every day, um, I learned so much. I learned so much about him. And I learned so much about myself as we talked. And, and I began to see, I thought I was so different than my parents. And I prided myself on how different I was than my parents. And I realized as I sat next to his uh, bed, for better or for worse, that my parents have imprinted on me in ways that I never even realized. And um, there, there's so many things that I'm grateful for for him. Um, I got my sense of humor from him, so if I've ever made you laugh, you can thank him for that. And, um, and we have the same laugh, and that's one of the things that I'm... Uh, my dad had this really big, infectious laugh, and, um, and it had like this... It's just like this high note, and then it would kind of cascade down, and, and I have the same laugh, and sometimes when we were laughing about the same thing, we would even laugh like at the same pitch and come down. It was like a laugh harmony, if that even is such a thing. And, um, and man, every time I laugh, it means more to me now than ever. Um, and uh, my dad taught me to love baseball. And uh, when I was younger, and I was a rebellious teenager, and we had nothing to talk about, we could still talk about baseball. And um, listen, my dad made many mistakes in his life, but his approach to death was nothing short of heroic. My dad didn't blame anyone. My dad didn't bargain with God or God, why'd you do this to me? No, he stood death in the face and armed with faith. He knew in whom he had believed and he knew where he was going. And I had no idea that the greatest gift that he would give me in this world would be the faith by which he would leave it. Um, and listen, he brought joy into every room he walked into, I mean, with his quick wit, his laugh, which once again, it was so infectious. Even if you didn't speak Spanish, you just started laughing along. Like you just, uh, it's just, and he had this desire to kind of lift people's spirits through humor. Um, but in his, in his final room, he lifted the faith of every person who walked in. Here's my point. Dads, what do you want to leave your kids? Because telling them, well, I always told you to do the right thing. That's not enough. You have to model it because they're going to imitate you as you imitate Christ. And how do you want your kids to do in their relationships? Oh man, I want them to get married and stay married and, and love well and be loved. And listen, love their mom well because they will imitate that when they leave home. I mean, how do you want your kids to handle money, big purchases and big decisions? I mean, you want them to be wise. Then you've got to be wise. And you've got to take, take, put your arm around them and walk them through the process as you're making the decisions so that they'll know what to do when it's their turn. And what do you want for them spiritually? Whatever it is, then model it for them 
Show them that commitment to Jesus is a daily decision because there will come a day and we don't like to think about it, but my friends, we, there will come a day when we walk into the final room that we will not walk out of. And that last room, that room by which you leave the world, make it a story worth telling so that your kids can talk about the most important treasure that you left them, which was a legacy of wisdom and a life of honoring God that left them a pattern to follow. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you that you hear us and that you love us and that for many of us, we've had a dad that reflected you and modeled you. Some of us didn't. Some of us had a dad that was the opposite of that. Some of us didn't have a dad at all. And God, I'm grateful that however our earthly father was, that you are our heavenly father and that we can look to you and that you are the one who's never going to leave us, who's never going to forsake us. So God, I pray that you'd help us to be more like you, to look more like your son, Jesus, with each passing day. And we prayed in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.